Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Hello there, and welcome to today's program. Uh, I am delighted to have you joining in here today, um, whether you're listening to the recorded program or intend to join in live. Fabulous. Um, You know, it's so gratifying when I travel all over the place to hear people telling me how much they rely on their weekly serving of collaborative problem solving on this program. Uh, that's pretty cool. And um, boy, have a lot of emails piled up since mid-December, which is the last chance I had to uh, respond to them. So I'm going to respond to them. But first, I'm going to give you that call-in number again. It's 347-994-2981. Uh, if you're having trouble understanding your behaviorally challenging kid, trouble doing plan B, trouble convincing other caregivers to try it the plan B way? Well, that's what this program is for, and that's what my nonprofit, Lives in the Balance, the sponsor of this program, is for. And um, feel free to call in. If you're not the calling type, uh, shoot me a message through the Lives in the Balance website, the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. Another good way to do it, and lots of folks do it that way, and I'll be responding to those today. Um, callers do take top priority on the program, though, so if you have uh, something you want to talk about, once again, that number, 347-994-2981. Um, how are the holidays? You know, we, we had our first uh, program back from the holidays last uh, Tuesday, but it was the parents' panel proof that even parents panel members can get stuck using plan A but also proof that whenever you use plan A always good to retrace your steps and ask yourself what that might have sounded like if you'd have used plan B and whether that might have been a better way to go usually it's a better way to go no downside to using plan B any unsolved problem you could try to solve using plan A, you could solve using plan B. The difference is A is unilateral and usually sets in motion challenging episodes, and B is collaborative problem solving and solves the problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes. Um, uh, From where I come from, B is preferable. Here in the Collaborative problem-solving territories, B, is preferable. 
No calls yet, so I'm going to turn our attention to our emails. And here's one I promised I would answer, uh, respond to on the program today. And here's what's interesting. As I was reading it just before the program today, I was wondering why I decided to have this be on the parents' program. It's actually more relevant to educators, but I'm I'm going to do it today because I said I was going to do it today. Here's the uh, email. Hello, I have read both books, The Explosive Child and Lost at School, which I've found very helpful uh, to understand why children with challenging behavior behave as they do. I work as a learning support assistant with a six-year-old boy at primary school who has an extremely explosive personality. Uh, He appears to be fractious a lot of the time, not sure what that means, and as soon as he is confronted with a task, he doesn't want to do it. It takes a lot of distraction to stop him from throwing stuff, running out of class, and also hitting, kicking, spitting at me and other staff members. All right, so now I'm uh, not reading the email anymore. I'm me now. Now we know what this kid does when he is confronted with a problem he's unable to solve. He throws stuff, runs, hits, kicks, and spits. He's what we call a thrower, runner, hitter, kicker, spitter. Now that's all well and good, but what we're even more interested in is what unsolved problems are setting in motion, throwing, running, hitting, kicking, spitting. We don't know yet. Oh, we have a little bit of a hint. As soon as he's confronted with a task he doesn't want to do, of course, if you listen to this program or no collaborative problem solving, you know that I wouldn't word it that way, but now I'm going to go back to the email. The head teacher has told him and his mother that if it happens again, he will be permanently excluded and it has been recommended that he attend a residential school for children with behavioral issues. I have attempted plan B with him when he did not want to do a spelling test. Well, I'm back me again. That might be emergency plan B. That's That's not good timing. Back to the email. He told me he was tired, which I empathize with, and then I explained the problem we have. The teacher wants him to do the test. Mm, I don't know if that's uh, the best way to put the adult's concerns. Adult's concerns usually are related to how the unsolved problem is affecting the kid and or how the unsolved problem is affecting other people. I know she wants him to do the test, but I don't think that's her concern. That's her solution, doing the test. So that wasn't the define the problem step. And to tell you the truth, if the first thing he said in the empathy step was that he was tired, I might suggest that uh, we might want to drill for information on that. Seldom does the first thing the kid says in the empathy step give you the fullest possible understanding of his concern or perspective on a given unsolved problem. So you'd need to drill there. So, to tell you the truth, so far we really don't have any concerns on the table. Now back to the email. He couldn't come up with a solution, and now we know why. Now that's me again. Now we know why. If the concerns of both parties are vague, no one's going to be able to come up with a solution because we don't know what problem we're trying to solve. Back to the email. So I suggested he do the test another time when he was less tired. But he became extremely agitated and would not agree or offer any solution. What could I do in this kind of a situation? All right, you're about to get the pat advice that I give people who are 
trying to solve problems primarily emergently, but you've already heard some of my advice. First, let's... Well, we got to change the timing. we got to make this whole enterprise proactive, not emergent. Here's the good news. I don't know this kid, this six-year-old boy, but I do know that his unsolved problems are probably, well, not probably, are highly predictable. If they're predictable, then we don't need to wait until the heat of the moment to try to solve them with them. We can solve them proactively. And But I would stop... Uh, being so vague as any time he's confronted with a task he doesn't want to do. I think he'd want to do them if he could do them, so I'm going to assume that there's something about the tasks that we're saying he doesn't want to do that are hard for him to do. Something's getting in his way. we got to figure out what it is, and we are not going to do that in the heat of the moment. So we got to organize the effort. We've got to download the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems from the Lives in the Balance website. We gotta do it. It's in the paperwork section. And we gotta take some time, no more than an hour, probably less, to figure out what skills this young lad is lacking. Figure out what highly predictable unsolved problems are setting in motion his throwing, running, hitting, kicking, spitting. Not that that stuff's pleasant, but we gotta figure out why it's happening. If we don't understand what's getting in his way, we won't help him. Collaborative problem solving brings two things to the table. It brings the helping part, but it brings the understanding part first, and that's where the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems comes in. Then we got to prioritize which unsolved problems we're going to start working on first. But just by identifying unsolved problems, we've made them highly predictable. I mean, if he's he, if he's spitting about something, whatever he's spitting about is the unsolved problem. Spitting, I understand, spitting's not pleasant nor desirable, but spitting is not the unsolved problem. The unsolved problems that are setting in motion spitting are the unsolved problems. And I've now we now know one difficulty on the spelling test. That's the only one we know. Sounds to me like this kid is running into things throughout the day that are hard for him to do. Otherwise, he'd be doing it because kids do well if they can and because doing well is preferable. Um, then we got to prioritize. We can't work on everything at once. we got to decide what we're working on. That's plan B. we got to decide what we're not working on. That's plan C. And then we've got to get to work. It sounds like you do have some familiarity with the steps of Plan B. It, from the little bit that you wrote in your email uh, or message, it sounds to me like maybe there's some more drilling for information to be done in the empathy step, and there is more explicit detail needed on what the adult concerns are and the define the problem step. And then if this is not emergent and if this is... If we're getting the concerns of both parties on the table, now I'm a little bit more optimistic that we might be able to collaborate, brainstorm on solutions. So all I'm doing here is troubleshooting. It's what I spend a lot of my time doing, listening to how people are trying to use the model and trying to troubleshoot the stuff that they don't quite have right. If you don't have the collaborative problem-solving approach right, it's not going to work for you, by and large. I hope that... uh, answers your questions 
for you. That's what I would do. That's the same advice I give almost everybody. LSIP, lagging skills, unsolved problems, prioritize unsolved problems, proactive plan B, drill well in the empathy step, get your concerns on the table in a very clear way, and then define the problem step. Doing all that, you're setting the stage for problems to get solved. If we're doing this in the heat of the moment, good luck. If we are not doing a good job of getting the kids' concerns on the table, first of all, good try, but most people need to drill further. That's common. A lot of adults have trouble getting their concerns on the table, and then you find the problem step. That's common. We don't really know whether you're going to run into trouble in the invitation step yet because of the fact that the plan B that you're describing was emergent and we really didn't get very clear concerns of either party entered into consideration. What a shame that uh, if this kid continues behaving in this way, he's going to be permanently excluded and will have to attend a residential school for children with behavioral issues. I'd rather I'd rather give Plan B a shot before we do that stuff. Uh, permanently excluded residential school. He's six. You know there might be some six-year-olds out there whose behavioral challenges are so extreme that they do need to be taken out of their current environment. But um, I don't know yet with this kid. We haven't really tried proactive plan B yet. So good luck, and thank you for uh, emailing. Hope that answered your question. By the way, talking about other unreasonable things that are done to kids, we've been following the news about um, the scream rooms in Connecticut. I was on the uh, phone doing an interview with a reporter from the Hartford Current, I think a few days ago, if I remember correctly. That story might come out today. I'm not sure. Um, And number one, I said that the debate about whether such rooms are necessary is an interesting one. Do, do classrooms where that that have a lot of behaviorally challenging kids in them do they sometimes have need of a room where they can put an out of control kid briefly? That's an interesting discussion. But if a kid is spending a lot of time in a scream room, if he's being put in a scream room frequently. Something didn't right. Something's missing. Either the folks who are working with that kid, and I empathize with them too, by the way. I'm empathizing with the kid right now, though. Either the folks who are working with the kid don't understand him very well, and or the folks who are working with him still have tremendous faith in punitive motivational interventions aimed at making kids do what they want the kid to do. And or the folks who are working with the kid are working under impossible circumstances 
circumstances in which even the most enlightened, skilled adult couldn't possibly succeed. But there's a lot of things that could be going wrong that would be causing us to use scream rooms frequently. I like the name. I mean, better than calling it a time-out room, a scream room makes it sound a whole lot more serious, which it is. Uh, some of you may also know I'm going to write a new real-world segment on this as soon as I'm on an airplane tomorrow night. Speaking in Seattle on Thursday, Denver on Friday, lots of airplane time often means that a new real-world segment will get written and posted on the Lives in the Balance website, or more video will get edited and posted on the Lives in the Balance website. Or this book that I've been working on for a long time will finally get finished and published, but airplane time, what a concept. The opportunity to get work done. I'm going to be writing a real-world segment on this. I'm glad they call them Scream Rooms because that makes it sound pretty serious. Uh, I guess the message for schools is your time has come. Uh, Many, many Inpatient psychiatry units in this country have dramatically reduced or virtually eliminated their use of physical, chemical, mechanical restraint and locked door seclusion. And I'm proud to report that collaborative problem solving has in many places been a major part of that effort. Time time to accomplish the mission in schools as well. Putting kids in a scream room is archaic, obsolete, inhumane. we got to stop doing it. Shall we turn to another email? You know, sometimes on the first program back, the phone lines are slow. Let's see this one. Uh, This is not one that has a question in it, but I'll read it anyways. Dr. Green, I have two sons, ages 8 and 11, who lost their dad, my former husband, to suicide in 2009. The two years leading up to his death were filled with turmoil involving child custody battles and his father marrying a second time. Both sons have had very different grief journeys. My 8-year-old at this time anyway seems to be fairly well adjusted, but not without issues. My 11-year-old has had an especially difficult time with the situation. He is a good kid with so many great traits and such potential and has always been more challenging than other kids. The death of his dad exacerbated his symptoms. In November 2011, he was diagnosed with ADHD, oppositional defiant disorder, and depression not otherwise specified. Life at home is often a struggle. My older son's behavior has a profound effect on the atmosphere at home. Slow improvements are seen, and I feel less guilty about picking my battles. My 11-year-old is struggling at school with his behavioral challenges. I've been advocating for him, referencing your book a number of times. Needless to say, life is exhausting at times. Over the last two and a half years, we have been working with a number of complementary resources. The resources include the school counselor, individual therapy for my son and for me, group grief therapy for our family, grief camp for both sons, and more recently, 
a psychiatrist, though I am not inclined to put my son on meds, and the audio book of The Explosive Child. There is so much more to our story. There are a lot of bumps on the roads we travel, but we are moving forward. I have often felt alone on my journey and desperate at times for a quick fix. In response, I have read and researched all that I can in my spare time, as I am a full-time only parent and maintain a professional career, I am blessed with a great support system, and I have been told I should feel very proud of the progress we have made. I feel that I still have to have a lot to learn, and together we have a lot of progress to make. In recent months, the Explosive Child has been an especially helpful resource to me. It has given me hope, direction, and validation. I thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. As I move along my journey, I am thankfully surrounded by many who support the approach in The Explosive Child. However, it has still been a challenge to get others, my son's teacher and my boyfriend to name two, who maintain an old-school mentality, to consider another approach. I will continue to advocate for my son and talk about his challenges, frustrations, desires, lagging skills, and what it must be like for him to handle situations with his lagging skills. I'm at a point where the situation seems less overwhelming, in part with the guidance from your book. I am still very thirsty for information and guidance. I look forward to a point in the future where I can share the success we've had with your recommended approach and hope that time comes sooner rather than later. Thank you so much for writing. Your very touching story. I hope that Others are as touched by your story as I am, and I hope that people are inspired by it, that when you have a behaviorally challenging kid and you are living under very difficult circumstances, you do want to make it better quickly, and frequently it doesn't get better quickly. Keep your eye on the ball. You'll get there. And how happy I am that the explosive child helped you on your journey, uh, just made my day. How happy am I that the uh, Lives in the Balance website is helping lots of other folks and that all the streaming video and resources on the website are helping people make things better. Um, hey, why I do what I do, and that's why Lives in the Balance does what Lives in the Balance does. Thank you so much for writing, and I do look forward to hearing back from you. Okay, here's another one that doesn't have a question, but it's a nice one. Dr. Green, it's only recently that I've accepted that my son will not be fixed overnight. It would be helpful if you could direct us to other parents who are in the trenches so that we can see that, A, we're not alone, uh, B, there is a process to this, C, that there are yet more ideas that the brains around me have not yet expressed. Thanks, I love you, and you have given me hope that my son won't be a drug addict or dropout. Oh, yeah, he's five. Thanks for writing. And I, too, hope that your son won't be a drug addict or a dropout. And if he's, in, he's five years old, you've got plenty of time to keep that from happening. And, yep, there's all kinds of stuff on the Lives in a Balance website to help you feel like you're not alone, that there's a process to this, and that there are more ideas that the brains around you have not yet expressed, and even more to come. 
Here's another. Right, this is a long one, but this one I've got an answer to. Let me first check and see if we have any callers. We don't. Hi, Dr. Green. My five-year-old daughter started having violent explosions at daycare about one and a half years ago. In her episodes, she would physically hurt the teachers and other children, spit, throw things, cuss, etc. All right. Once again, just like the first email, now we know what she does when she's looking bad, and we know where she's looking bad, but we don't know over what she's looking bad. Those are the unsolved problems. Back to the email. After her episode, she would retreat into an infant-like state, either wanting to be held or crying in a corner. At home, it was very much the same. Okay, now we know another place where she's looking bad. Her reaction to adults or children she didn't know was immediately negative. She became very unsocial. She has a brother who is nine, and is she's constantly doing things to bother him or hurt him. Okay, I'm, now I'm starting to hear about a few unsolved problems. I started her in therapy, as I believe the onset or trigger. This was due to my divorce with her father. His previous history of domestic violence and unstable lifestyle relationship with his new wife. Hmm. Possibly relevant. Not sure. As a side note, he has been under court order since last year, revoking his visitation rights and has not seen the children in over a year. Hmm. After months of therapy and trying many behavior modification tactics, it was clear that rewards and punishments were not working. I even changed schools thinking that would help, and it wasn't long before they asked her to leave. We had a psychology evaluation done. I'm going to stop reading this for one second just to comment. Isn't this something how so much of this goes on out there? I mean, I get tons of these emails. Just how hard it is for people to have the right lenses on. I'm not talking about the person who emailed. I'm talking about people who might have been trying to help her child. Um, diagnoses don't tell us what lagging skills are coming into play. Diagnoses don't tell us what unsolved problems are setting in motion challenging episodes. Uh, oppositionally find disorder, mood disorder, and anxiety. Now that we knew we were dealing with more complex issues, the task was how to elevate no, some of these behaviors. I think you mean reduce. Put her on a low dose of medication and Within a month, there was a complete change in her behavior and responses. It was like I had my sweet little girl back. But over a period of time, some of the behaviors and defiance came back. We have periods where she's not acting out or being defined as much, and then we have periods where it's all the time. She's great with one-on-one. Okay, I'm hearing about the stuff I like to hear about. And is able to do well with learning activities, but does very poorly in group settings. Finally, finally. Potential, but not specific enough yet, unsolved problems. She does not have any friends. That's very sad. And most children don't like her. Sadder still. A few of the friendships she was able to have were with children whose personalities were easygoing, shy, and let her lead the way and take control. We have been regressing the past few months. We have some new issues such as stealing. That's a behavior. And more everyday routine things are becoming an issue for her. We are seeing a new psychiatrist to explain that the medicine just takes the edge off, so to speak, and will give us a gap in which we are able to help her. We are still going to therapy, and I have recently read your book and started using Plan B. Good. 
At home, most of the time, I can keep her calm, redirect her, problem solve. But when she goes to school, I feel helpless. She is hurting other children, again at school, as well as neighbor friends. Every time it seems it's because she's not getting her way. We'll have to be more specific than that. It's what she's not getting her way about that's the unsolved problem. I have an issue trying to problem solve why she pushed a kid downstairs when her response was, I was the line leader, or why she hit a little girl in the face because she wanted to sit in the chair. Well, I have an issue with her doing those things too, but I suspect the best way to get her to stop pushing kids down the stairs or hitting a little girl in the face is to solve the problems that are setting that stuff in motion. That was me talking there. There are consequences of time out at school, which leads to fighting and swearing at the teachers and soon a phone call asking me to come get her. The daycare is very understanding, and they really try to help her, but it doesn't seem to be working. Worried what this will mean for her when she starts kindergarten in the, kindergarten in the fall, as our state has a very strict zero-tolerance policy if we are not able to get these behaviors under control. I would welcome any thoughts or ideas you might have that might help us. I um, have pretty much the same advice that I had for the first emailer. Uh, I think that what you want to do, number one, I'm glad that you found my work, and I'm glad that you found the Lives in the Balance website. Now, let's start using this stuff. Uh, What I would probably recommend that you do is download the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems from the Lives in the Balance website in the paperwork section, and get yourself a good list of your daughter's lagging skills and an even better list of highly specific unsolved problems. And I tried while I was reading that to point out what the unsolved problems might be. A lot of them would need to be specific than, more specific than what you've stated. Then decide which unsolved problems you're going to start working on, both at home and at school. then start solving problems proactively. And there's all kinds of streaming video on the Lives in the Balance website to help you do just that, with more coming very soon. So I'm worried about what's going to happen when your child gets to the school system in your state as well. I'm not naming the state, but it's one that I hear about frequently. And not because they're doing it right. Um, let's make this whole enterprise proactive. That's what the ALSIP does for you. It helps people get the right lenses on. That's the lagging skill section. Helps people know what they're working on. That's the unsolved problems section. And it makes the whole enterprise proactive because any unsolved problems you've written in on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems is by definition predictable. If she's hurting the teachers, there's an unsolved problem setting in motion, hurting the teachers. Otherwise, she wouldn't be hurting the teachers. If she's spitting or throwing things or swearing, then she's spitting, throwing things, and swearing because there's a problem she's been confronted with that she's unable to solve on her own. That's why she's spitting, throwing things, and swearing if she could solve it on her own. She wouldn't be spitting, throwing things, and swearing. And once you help her get it solved, she won't be spitting, throwing, and swearing over it. But we got to figure out what unsolved problems we're working on so we can work on them. And we can't try to solve them all at once 
get too many fish into the frying pan, as I always say, and you'll get none of them fried up. We've got to get the big fish into the frying pan. That's plan B. Little fish, that's plan C. We'll get to the little fish eventually after we get some big fish fried. No, we're not going to get any fish fried if we try to fry them all at once. So I am very empathic about the story you've told, and I feel for your daughter and you. And believe it or not, I even feel for the people who we are hoping might be able to help her someday. Oh, so along those lines, how are you going to introduce them to the uh, collaborative problem-solving approach? Because it sounds like you're having some measure of success at home, though it's not completely clear to me that you're actually using proactive plan B, but it does sound like you're having some measure of success. But it's conceivable that the folks at school don't know anything about it. Well, that's why I wrote the book Lost at School, and if you can get any of the folks at school to get on the Lives in a Balance website, hopefully they'll spend 15 or 20 minutes on there and they'll recognize why you wanted them to get on that website, and hopefully the rest will be history. But it sounds to me, given that there are some significant unsolved problems at school that there's some significant collaboration between you and the folks at school in your future. Here's another email. Let me give you the call-in number one more time just in case anybody wants to get in here at the, in the last few minutes. Uh, 347-994-2981. We got so many emails to get through here, though, that not troubling me greatly that we have no callers today. Uh, Dr. Green, my 17-year-old son is at an alternative school placed there by his public high school district and has been exploding in anger and walking out because all they know how to do is punish and impose consequences. The school psychologist told my son that he was wasting her time because he is still getting angry. Ah, good thing to say. I am desperate for some help. I've read The Explosive Child and Lost at School and I finally get it. Good. That's why I wrote him. When I've tried to share with our school what I've learned and asked them to read the books, the school psychologist told me he'd put it on next year's reading since he was busy coaching football for the high school this fall. They really aren't interested in what I have to say. They told me that I make my son a victim. I am determined to change the way things are done here in my state. I'm going to try to make sure that Lives in the Balance helps you do that. So I will be in touch with you to See if there are ways that you can help in your state. You can tell I don't name cities or states here, so that's okay. It's not the same state as the one from before. To tell you the truth, I hear about challenging kids being misunderstood and poorly treated in every state. Every state. Some I hear about more than others, whether that's because they're bigger. Some get into the newspaper more than others. Right now it's Connecticut's turn. Texas was in five months ago. New Mexico has come into my consciousness more recently. I'm not naming states where there's particular trouble, 
trouble everywhere. Not enough people understand what's really getting in the way for behaviorally challenging kids and how we can help them and do things differently than the way we're doing them now. That's what this program's all about. That's what Lives in the Balance is all about, and Lives in the Balance does everything it possibly can, even in individual cases, to see if we can make things right. Somebody's got to do it. If not us, who? Let's see how many emails we still have time for. We're not going to get any callers today, so here we go. We're going to get through almost half of the, uh, not even half, of the emails that I wanted to get to today. Now I lost a few. Dr. Green, finding your book, The Explosive Child, was an aha moment for me. Finally, I found something that I've believed for a long time. There are children for whom motivation is not the problem. I am lucky in that my child is five, and I pulled him out of kindergarten this fall and put him in a pre-K program where he is still having issues. Now, with your book and a therapist on board with your approach, I need help convincing the school to give it a try. Dear God, just try it, says the emailer. I'm certain they believe he is manipulative and an attention seeker, two words that I used before reading your book. I fear that my own interaction with the school prior to your book may cause the school to parrot it back to me, as in you yourself said that your son is an attention seeker. Of course, I hope for the best, but realize that I will probably have countless years of introducing this approach to future teachers. So that hard work is not undone. You're right. You're right. Just because you get it good in the second grade doesn't mean it's going to be good in the third grade. I also believe that my third son, age two, will be very, very much like this child. I hope to teach him, teach all of his teachers from the get-go that the typical approaches will fail him and will cause all involved hardship and misery. What's the best way to get the school and his teacher involved and talking in a proactive strategy when I am already hearing, you know, I have 25 other kids? Well, there's a lot of different things you could do, by the way. Thank you for writing, and thanks to everybody whose messages I read today for writing. Take some bravery to write, and even though I'm very careful to protect identities, it's not uh, easy to write in and say things are not going well with my kid. That's still not, that still takes some courage here in North America and in lots of other places I travel as well. How can you get the school folks on board? Well, number one, good for you for changing your stripes. Good for you for changing the way you think. Good for you for changing your tune. That's not easy either, but you did it. But I might use your experience as I ponder, in your case, how you're going to go about trying to persuade others to come around to this way of thinking. What what how did how did it work for you? Is it just by reading the explosive child? I mean, it's a persuasive book. And there's one for teachers lost at school and it's a persuasive book. So there's one option. You could give them a book. And who would I give the book to? The person in the building who you think is going to be most receptive. 
And I might also see if I can figure out who that person is and ask them, what's the best way to go about getting people to help my kid in this way that gave me an aha moment and that I'm finding to be extremely helpful. Um, you can turn them on to the Lives in the Balance website. Um, but mostly I'd probably strategize with one trusted person in the building who can give you the lay of the land and help you think about how to best go about doing this. It is hard to know to figure out the lay of the land of a school building from the outside looking in. You might need somebody to fill you in on the building dynamics and coach you along so that you are strategically savvy about how you want to go about doing things. But yes, if the explosive child worked for you, then maybe lost at school will work for them. But I would like to know more, if I was you, about how things work in the building, and I think that's a very big part of advocating for your child, which you are apparently recognizing you have years of doing in front of you. Hope that response was helpful. I think we have time for one more. Let's see what happens if I speed this up. How do I, re Dr. Green, how do I respond to behaviors such as hitting, swearing, or throwing items when I'm attempting the empathy step? Sometimes, not all the time, the response I get is I don't give a blankety-blank or a small non-harming object is thrown at me. I don't choose times of emotional upset to discuss this. It could be a calm moment that quickly changes. Good, because I was about to say it sounds like you're doing emergency plan B, but now I won't say that. If I simply choose another time to come back and discuss, I feel I am sending the message that these words or behaviors are acceptable. How can I maintain my role as a parent when this is the behavior I am met with? Can I give a consequence? Mm, you, can get, you can give a consequence anytime you want. I, if you're prepared to pay the price for it, and if you think it's going to do any good, go ahead. I don't usually think it's going to do any good, and therefore I don't think it's usually worth the price. So I don't recommend that people use consequences in the heat of the moment, uh, adult-imposed consequences in the heat of the moment or otherwise. Now, but I don't quite understand what's going on here. Uh, is the hitting, swearing, or throwing the child's response to you trying to gather information in the empathy step of plan B? If it is, then I might wonder if he's having trouble understanding what you're asking about. He's having trouble putting his thoughts into words. If you may be presenting the unsolved problem in a way that makes him feel like he's in trouble, if if you actually aren't doing the empathy step, if there's some plan, plan A being sprinkled into your empathy step. So I'd want to go back and take a look at whether you're doing proactive plan B, not emergency plan B or plan A, whether your child understands what you're asking about in the unsolved problem, whether you're being neutral and just scratching the surface here, whether there's something about linguistic demands of plan B that are 
presenting your child with even greater frustration as you're beginning to try to gather information. Those are my early hunches. There are literally dozens of other possibilities, but that's what I have time to fill you in on today. Uh, and that's going to do it for us today, unfortunately. I want to thank all of you for listening in and uh, for your weekly serving of Plan B. And, uh, hey, I'm back next week again with another edition of Parenting Your Behaviorally Challenging Child. Talk to you then.